You can open your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 20. We spent some time looking at the, the law of God as it uh, is found throughout the Scripture and over and over again. It's presented to us who are believers in Christ as a tool that uh, we use. And one of the things we do with it is we learn how to love God more and more and we love how, learn how to love one another more and more. The first four commandments focuses on our love for God. First commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have... No other gods before me. Last week we uh, looked at this command. I wanted to, to look at it again. Uh, last week we looked at how this command got us to focus on God as the object of our worship. That He's the focus of our worship. He's the fullness of our worship. He is the God of the Bible that we worship. No other gods, there is one true God that God wants to have before us, and that's Him. That's the essence of the first commandment. But there's more. Not only do we need to know what we're looking at, the true God, but what we're avoiding to look at Him. What do we need to put aside and put away? No other gods. So it's a love command. Suppose you come to me and you say, David, you know, I haven't been a believer that long or I've not been in a church where I was really growing. Just, just help me out here. How, how do I start loving God more and more and more? And I say, great question. So why don't you start with putting away idols? And you say, what? I want to love God more and more. Yeah, but why don't you start with putting away idols? And you think about that a minute, and you say, I don't have any idols. That's the way most of us respond. Thinking, you know, that's not real helpful. And yet, God made it the first commandment. In order for you to love me, you've got to learn how to focus on me. And to do that means no other gods. And I want us to, to think about, again... God wouldn't have made this the first commandment if it wasn't crucial. How we love God. We've got to get rid of idols. You say, well, I don't have any. Well, I'm going to show you this morning. That's not true. We all have many idols. There are idols in the land. And I want you to basically see that the commandment number one is not a useless command. It's crucial for us. It's the foundation for our love for God. Put it to you this way. Suppose a wife comes in the den and she sees her husband looking at pictures of other women on the internet. And she says, what are you doing? And he said, well, I don't mean anything bad by it or anything. I mean, it's just God's attractive design. And she said, we're not talking about God's attractive design. What we're talking about here is the first rule for our relationship. And the first rule for our relationship is that you have no other attractive designs in your eyes but me alone. I am your attractive design. And all godly women say, Amen. Right? And that's what God's saying in the first commandment. No other gods. You are to love me alone. Alone. 
That's the rule in a loving relationship is that you're not out there having affairs with others and saying you love me faithfully. You're not. You've got to get your focus off the others in order to keep your focus on me. Very important command that's crucial to any loving relationship, but certainly our relationship with God. So I want us to think about what are these things that grab our attention, these attractive designs to us that suck us in to taking our focus off of God. And I've given you five to think about this morning as I was trying to just meditate. God, what are the idols before me that I think about? What are the idols that grab us? Because they can change from time to time and you might not have all on this list. You probably do. You may have some that you want to add to the list as well. But first idol I want us to think about is the idol of self. The idol of self. Used to be every city had their bookstores. Now bookstores have moved online. If you go to a bigger city and it still has the bookstore, coffee shop kind of thing, and you go into the bookstore, one of the things you notice is self-help section is not a little section. It's got its own department. We are a people that want to do something with ourselves, exalt ourselves, and there are gobs of books written about how to make you a better person. Exalt the self. I don't know what you do first thing in the morning. First thing I do, for the most part, as soon as I get up, I look in the mirror. That pretty much, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I do that. I look at, oh, I got to shave. I got to fix my hair. Goodness gracious. You know, I don't know why that surprises me. I have to do that every morning. But I want to do it. I want to focus on myself and make myself more presentable or make myself better. We have this focus. Now, some of that's good for sure. But it's the heart issue. Why am I doing that? Am I doing that for God or am I doing it for me? Am my presentation of myself, is it because I want to feel better or is it because it's advantageous to God? Do I put myself sometimes before God? If, if you put yourself before God, this is how you know. Notice your prayers that will start sounding like God's a vending machine. God, help me do what I want to do. God, this is my agenda. I need you to come down and do this for me. I need you to make my hair better. It just sticks up all the time. I need you to clean me up. I need you to provide different things. It just sounds like we're just asking, asking. It doesn't sound like a loving relationship, does it? It doesn't sound affectionate. When self is first and God is second, you can evaluate it. How many of you, I'm going to assume the answer is zero, but I don't know, some of you may really be mature in your face. How many of you prayed John 3.30 this week. Let's just turn to it. I'll show it to you real quick. It's a short verse. You know the verse. John 3, verse 30. John the Baptist is speaking to his friends when he sees Jesus for the first time. And he not only sees him, but he hears him. And when he sees him and he hears him, 
verse 29 says, Oh, my, my joy has now been made complete. I see my God, my lover. And this is the phrase, verse 30. He, speaking of Christ, he must increase, but I must decrease. What a prayer for looking in the mirror. God, this morning, my prayer is that the man in the mirror decreases and you increase. May people today see more of you as I walk and less of me. Our focus again, you see, is on God then. And we've removed it from that idol called self. I want to start thinking, how do we do that week to week? Jesus told his disciples in Luke 9, 23, you can look that up. Luke 9, 23, he says, if you will follow me, deny yourself first. Deny self, take up your cross, and follow me. So in order to follow Jesus first, you've got to destroy the idol of self. You've got to deny self, realizing it might be painful to self to walk the path that Jesus is walking. You're willing to do that because self is not what you worship. You deny self and you follow Jesus. We can't obey the first commandment until we learn to crucify ourselves. Destroy this idol that we worship. Destroy this concept of, of always seeking to look out for ourselves first. Um, here's a, a commentary of our times. Look at 2 Timothy 3, the first two verses. There's a lot here, and I'll come back to uh, verse 4 after a while. But look at 1 Timothy. Excuse me, 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. First couple of verses. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 and 2. But understand this, that in the last days, that's what we're living in, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. We'll see... The list goes on, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. But let's just focus on the, the first in his list. People will be lovers of self. The idols are all through the land. You're not the only one. I'm not the only one. We wake up in the morning and we love ourselves. And we strive to exalt ourselves. If we're feeling down, what can I do to make me better. Let's love myself first. Every day we're faced with denying self or taking another selfie and exalting self. And we see that all through the land. We're not good lovers of God until we destroy this idol. We've got to learn to say no to self. You say, well, I'm a pretty good self. Yeah, I got that. Romans 12, verse 3. Look at Romans 12, verse 3. Why are you a pretty good self? Why do I feel at times, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Romans 12, 3 says, the reason is because you've been given the mercy of God. You've been greatly gifted by God, His grace. Romans 12, 3 says then, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith 
that God has assigned. See, it comes back to God. You are what you are by the grace of God. So it should come back. I can deny what I've made myself. Let's look, focus on what God has made me. And let's worship and adore God instead of myself. Not thinking too highly of myself. Even though I may be wonderfully dressed and groomed and gifted. It's because of God's grace. And it wasn't given to me to exalt myself. It was given to me to exalt God in His ways. Who did you make much of? Who do you make much of? That's hard for me to say. You, yourself, me, myself, I, or God? You can evaluate any day. Who have I made much of today? There's your idols. If it's much of you, it's always been about you, or is it much of God? Who he is, what he's doing, what he has done, what he's going to do. We've got to learn to deal with this idol of self if we're going to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second, let's look at the idol of goodness. The idol of goodness. Ask somebody how they know they're going to heaven. A common, common, common answer is, well, there's some pretty bad people in the world, and I'm not one of them. I think I'm going to heaven because I'm pretty good. I mean, I, I look at other countries, and other countries are terrible compared to ours sometimes. I think I'm, we're pretty good. I think we're going to heaven. We're blessed. God's going to bless us because, you know, if he was the way people on a scale, we're better than many. Maybe better than most. We're certainly good enough. If there's got to be a, a, a group going to hell, we're certainly in that good enough crowd that's going to heaven. That's the way so many people think. They think God is so good and wonderful that He's got just to take good people like Himself. Well, just think about any of the commandments. I, we reviewed during the announcements, the first four commandments. Let's start with number five. Um, just think about our own life. Have you ever disrespected your parents? Not honored them the way you should? Not taken care of them the way you should? Well, that's a sin. You broke the fifth commandment. Sixth commandment, have you ever just really destroyed somebody with your words? Ran them down? Pushed them down? That's murder in the sixth commandment. That's sin. That's worthy of hell. Seventh commandment, have you ever lusted after another person wanting them in your fantasy to be with you immorally? That's a sin and worthy of hell. Seventh commandment. Eighth commandment, have you ever took something from anyone? Have you ever stolen from God? The, the tithe, he says, that's my portion. It's not some percentage you play with. It's my holy portion. Have you ever taken it? Did what you want? Have you done that with other people's time and resources? That's stealing. God says, that's not loving people and it's not loving me. You see, it's real easy to start going through the commandments and I can see I, bro I break all of them and I have broken them. I'm in need of a Savior because I am a sinner. It's not because I'm good that I'm going to heaven. It's because Christ is good. And Christ gives his righteousness to me. Quick verse. Look at Romans chapter 3. 
verses 10 through 12. Romans 3, 10 through 12. This conclusion Paul came to himself. Romans 3, beginning at verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's God's description of mankind. And we're in that category. None of us are good. Uh, God doesn't look from heaven. Some people think, um, you know, God looks through heaven. And he looks through the tunnel of time. And as he looks through the tunnel of time, even though you might be bad right now, he sees one day down the road, you're going to make a wise choice. You're going to make a good choice. You're going to choose Jesus. And on the basis of your good choice, he's going to choose you. That verse isn't in the Bible. But that's the, the mindset. God says, no, when I look down through the tunnel of time, I see none is good. No, not one. None of you. None of me. You don't come into this category of being good enough. Give you a couple of verses. Look at Isaiah 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, verse 6. There are some who want to put forth their good works, and Isaiah describes them this way. He says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds, all our good deeds, are like a polluted garment. And who would want that? God certainly doesn't want that. He's not going to exalt that to heaven as though because we're good, we're going to get there. In Ephesians 2, he says, you are all dead in trespasses and sin. You're children of wrath. You just deserve to be burned up. That's our condition outside of Christ. We're not basically good going to heaven. So if you're worshiping your goodness... I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You're just completely off base, and God is saying, you're not, you're not, you're not. Um, our goodness is not sufficient. It's not, it's never sufficient. Give it to you a different way. Look at the, the statements about salvation. Look at uh, John chapter 14, verse 6. The exclusive right here that... that Christ presents about himself. John 14. Verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father. So nobody's going to get to heaven, God the Father, except through me. Sounds pretty exclusive. There's only one way. Jesus is the one way. He's the one truth. He's the one life. There's no exception to that. No one gets to heaven, to the Father, except through Him. Another passage like that, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, said completely differently. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It was referring back in verse 11, this Jesus is uh, this person. There's no other name. Now, 
where did you see my name in that equation? You didn't. Where did you see your name in that equation? He doesn't say, there's, there's, only, there's no other name by which you can get to heaven except Jesus Christ and uh, uh, David Roundtree. See, my name's not in the equation. Your name's not in the equation. It doesn't say, you plus Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. Jesus is the only way. Our goodness does not measure up. It does not get us there. It will never be sufficient for salvation. We need Christ and Him alone. His demand is for sinless goodness. And there's only one who is sinlessly good. And that's Christ. That's why He's the way. He's the truth. And He's the life. We worship ourselves. We worship how good we are. Whether it's with sports, whether it's with finance, whether it's relationships, we've got to destroy that idol so that we again begin to focus on Christ. He is who is good. He is the one who is the way. He is the one I love. He's the one I cherish because He provides what I don't have. He's my Savior. He's my God. And of course, you go back to the beginning of the Ten Commandments and, and they're introduced that way. Am I not the God who brought you out of slavery? Am I not the God who has saved you? I'm the one I want you to worship, not yourself. Third idol. I, I combined three here, so I cheated a little bit just to get three out in one. The idols of wisdom, might, and riches. Because as I was thinking about these three, I came across Jeremiah 9.23 and it has all three of them right there. So let's just look at it. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Jeremiah 9, 23 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise, the wise man, the wisdom, boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Idolatry is boasting in something being better. And then replacing that for God. And it's clear at times we do boast in our wisdom. How'd you, how'd you figure that out? I, I'm just smart. You know, I got it. How'd you do that? I'm just stronger than you. How'd you do that? I've got resources. I'm financially set. I can do pretty much what I want to do. And we boast in these things, our wisdom, our might, and our riches. Um, let me give you an example of each one, the, the boast, the worship of wisdom and power, and then the results. Uh, first of all, wisdom and power. Look at Daniel 4, verse 30. It's a great story in the book of Daniel about King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, sometimes we forget that um, uh, his salvation story, so to speak, is put right here. In Daniel chapter 4. Let me, let me uh, read it to you. Chapter 4 verse 30. Um, and the king answered and said. Is not this great Babylon. Which I have built by my mighty power. As a royal residence. And for the glory of my majesty. Oh, you know, he's, he's boasting. Look at the kingdom. I'm on the top of the world. I built it. I did this. It's my might. 
It's my wisdom. And then God's word says, while the words, verse 31, were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. I mean, that doesn't happen often. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And the rest of the story is how God takes away everything. To show him, quit boasting in your wisdom and in your might. It's not about you. And he goes through seasons of living like a cow until he comes to his senses and says, there's only one true God. And I've been, I've been building an idol instead of worshiping the one true God. Sometimes God has to get our attention, especially those who have wisdom, might, and riches. There's, there's so much power in just self-assurance that God has to, to come down and really pull the rug out from under some. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, 17 and 18. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. It says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and my might, the might of my hand, have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. It is He who gives you power to get wealth. So again, the focus is off of God who gives us wealth and power to some, and it becomes on the person. And God says, that's going to have to go. You can't love me with that. And then one other place, Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, verse 24. Just good verses to have in your bank to help you destroy these idols. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. One has to be in charge. You've got to serve God first. If you serve your riches, your wealth, the making of money, you will not be loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, it's interesting when you come in uh, the days of Christ to the rich young ruler. Look at Matthew 19. The rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus, and he wants to know what he's got to do to get saved. And the reason he can talk like that is because he's so wise. He's so mighty. He's so wealthy. It's, it's all fixed for him. He said, I got everything in the world, but I'm not sure I've got salvation. You keep speaking about salvation. What do I lack is really his question so that I can be saved. And it's interesting, Jesus' response to him. Uh, I'll just read the story real quick. Matthew 19 Beginning at verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what's good? And he's like, You're a wise man. You really already know the answer to this. There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he says to him, Which commandments are you talking about? And Jesus said, and he starts listing commandments out of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, got that. Check, 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 check. All of these I kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, it's like, wow. <laughs> he says he's got them all. 
When I look at that list, I say, oh, man, I blew them all. But this man was so wise and mighty and rich. Check, 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 check. I, I got that. I, I didn't have anything else to do, so I was checking those off. Okay. So Jesus said to him, verse 21, if you would be perfect. See where the standard just went to? We went from being good enough to being perfect. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You could say he had great idols. What was Jesus saying? You go and remove your idols. You got the essence that the focus needs to be on God, His Word, His law. You're checking that off. But you haven't gotten to the place that you've destroyed your idols. Your idols are your possessions. And you've got more than any. Why don't you just go destroy those? And then you can follow me. Come follow me. Because you'll be able then. Because it's your idol. That's what you worship. And he goes away. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Why did he ask me that? First commandment. The focus can't just be God. The focus has to be away from the other. So that God really is exclusively the joy and delight and love of your heart. God's going to deal with your idols if you don't, if you're his child. We've got to learn to no other gods means no idols. And we've got to deal with them. They're all around us. Fourth idol, the idol of faith. When I googled a little more faith, I want a little more faith. Stuff like magic comes up. Wizardry. Sorcery. And those things are in the scriptures. And I really hadn't thought about it. That's never really been my world. But as I, as I thought about it more and more, it is, is where a lot of people are at. And it ought to, ought to be alert to it. And we all need to be alert to trying to create a force. We want a little more force, a little more power to help us with the future. It's what it really comes down to. Um, some people say, you know, they don't even think about God being the object of your faith. There's this whole way of thinking that you just need to believe in belief. You just need to have faith in faith. How, how, do, I, how do I do a little bit better? Just believe. Just believe. Believe in what? Just believe. And if you keep pressing, believe in what? What's the object of the faith? Sometimes it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a force. It's a power. It's a movement. It's a thing, just believe. Just believe. If you believe it, you can achieve it. You just need a little more faith. And there's a big movement that thinks through that. So I want us to think, well, faith might be one of your idols. That you believe. You just need to believe. And you'll be better. And you'll be fine. What is faith? One thing that's clear, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, faith is a gift from God. 
You know the verse. We don't boast in saving ourselves. We're saved by grace through faith. And that's not something we work up. It is a gift of God that no one should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's a gift. We don't work it up. We don't just believe harder. Work on it. We, we receive faith as a gift from God and exercise faith. But many people are teaching it's to be treated as though it was the key. It was the object. Faith is the object of faith. And if you just believe, you'll have what you want. Now, let me give you a couple of Old Testament examples because it's hard sometimes to uh, maybe transfer this into our world, uh, the application. Look at Leviticus 19, verse 26. Leviticus 19, verse 26. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not uh, round off the hair on your temples. Verse 28, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourself. I am the Lord. And the tattoos there are talking about tattoos for the dead. Um, verse 30, you shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not, that which is magicians and wizards. Do not seek them out and so make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. So here's, here's language. I don't want you to seek the magicians and the wizards and the sorcerers and the diviners um, and the, the palm readers the fortune tellers. One other clear example, God saying, don't, don't go there. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. Deuteronomy 18, beginning verse 9. It says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God's given, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Uh, what's, what's the connection? To me, the application is as easy as this. Are you seeking anything, anyone, any person, any of these things mentioned because you need help with the future? You need help to know what to do. You need direction. You need something to get you into the future. God says, I'm the only one who knows the future. Why are you not seeking me? Why are you seeking another instead of me? See, it comes back to the first commandment. You're creating for yourself something you want to worship more than me. The only one who knows the future. I plan the days. I know your first day from your last day and vice versa. Why are you seeking some other source? 
Some people are rolling the dice. Some people are going and looking for their fortunes to be read so that they will know these things. Maybe that's the world that you are in. God says, I don't want you seeking supernatural help from someone else. I'm the only one supernatural. You seek it from me. You seek my word. You seek it through my word, through the church, through the gifts of God's people, through the ways that God has planned. Now, the application, some of you may be doing that on the internet. Some of you may be doing it through novels. Some of you may be doing it through movies. Some of you may be doing it through paying people money to tell you what they think about your palm or something. God says, no. Destroy that idol. That's not loving me. You see, it keeps coming back to how do you love God more and more and more? You've got to destroy these affairs that are in your life. It's not enabling you to live and love Christ. Fifth idol, the idol of happiness and pleasure. There's this view in life that many people say, God only wants me happy, right? So I know this is God's will because this is what makes me happy. Or we've got this terrible struggle and we ask everybody to pray, say, oh, bless the Lord, it finally worked out, now I'm happy. As though happiness was the goal. God doesn't say, God does provide pleasure. There's wonderful pleasures in God's presence. God does provide happiness, but he doesn't say the goal in life is happiness and he doesn't say you will always be happy. As a matter of fact, he says, as a son or daughter of mine, I'm going to chasten you. God is still a God who disciplines his children. Hebrews chapter 12, um, I'll just read it real quick because it's, it's so foreign to so many people today in this world that uh, discipline uh, occurs. God disciplines his children. And just read some of the description. John, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, he says, Have you forgotten? The exhortation that's addressed to you as sons, sons or daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So you may be going through a tough time right now, and it's all God's design. God designed it for you particularly. It's his trouble put on your life to teach you something. Now notice how it's described, verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Basically, no discipline's fun. It's not. It's not happy. It's painful when you go through it. And God designed it to do something for you you're not doing, I'm not doing, and that's conforming us to the image of Christ. And he has to discipline us and take us through painful times. So if you've raised up this idol that I should be happy, always happy, you've got to destroy that because that's not God's plan for your life is to always be happy. God has times where it's going to be painful, he says. Um, Timothy talks about all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus uh, says in John 16, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. There's no, no doubt about it. He says, but take comfort in this. I've overcome the world. I'm still in charge, even though you, it looks like it all blew up for you. He says, I'm still in charge, but I have promised in this world, you will face 
tribulation. You will have hard times. The goal is not your ultimate happiness. And then I told you I would come back to it. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3. And we looked at the first two verses. Let me look at verse 4 uh, just real quick. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 4 says, There are these people in the last days, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. And here's the phrase, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see the substitute? An idol is something you substitute for God. And there are people who are substituting a love for pleasure over a love for God. He says, that's what happens when you're breaking the first commandment. You're exchanging the love of God for a love for pleasure. Well, where are you? There are many, ple- there are many idols in the land. Many idols. Keeping the first commandment, I hope you're seeing now, it's not a slam dunk, is it? Keeping the first commandment is not the easiest thing you're going to do in life. Because the first thing you do is wake up and look in the mirror. Instead of wake up and look at God. We've got to learn to destroy our idols. So that we can wake up and start looking at God. And have no other gods before us. Him alone. The one true God. We've got work to do to love God more and more. You want to love God more and more? Why don't you work on destroying some idols? Get on the demolition crew. Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy to get distracted with so much. And our fear is that in those distractions, we may miss you. Lord forbid it. May that not be the case. You are our all in all. You're the love of our life. You have saved us and transformed us. Let us see what we raise up against you. Let us see the multitude of affairs we've brought into our lives that's keeping us from the attraction of your goodness, of your love, of your grace. Father, forgive us for replacing your love with so many of our own. We ask that, uh, Father, for those in this room that don't know you, they don't even see why this is so serious. It's because they haven't seen how wonderful and great you are. Let us commend to them, Lord, what you have made the object of our desire, yourself. Help us to grow in loving you more and more and more as we turn from sin and turn to sinless goodness found in our Savior. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.